Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains body language of the modern and early modern varieties, so plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make, but don't say we didn't warn you. Not that we're underprepared, because we definitely are not this week. We're back to our military precision it's not like notes. last time when we were like, mm, comedy of errors, which, by the way, I listened to that episode last night. A little secret to our listeners. We recorded that episode like a month before it dropped. Yep. I had forgotten pretty much everything that we'd done, but it was just, it was so delightful to listen to. I just, yeah. I smiled the whole way through yeah. it because also I love drawing the cards and yep. banging on the glass. Yeah, you were definitely living your best life oh my God. last episode. I so, You're so was. Cute. <laughs> I'm so cute. And like, I normally don't toot my own horn like that, but oh my God, I'm precious. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was oh. very cute. <laughs> Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Jazz Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock, and together we are Hamlet. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and come back for more. Yeah, this is a two hundred one level episode, and things are a little different when we do two hundred ones. This is Richard the Third two hundred one. By yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah. in case uh, we hadn't mentioned that, which we definitely hadn't. Did not. Sorry about it. Like I said, still summer. Mm -hmm. Um, So for 201 level episodes, we operate on the assumption that you have a basic familiarity with the play. So we're not going to do a synopsis. Um, If you are a newbie to Richard III, or if you just need to refresh your memory, you can listen to episode eight of our podcast, which is Richard III 101. Okay, so for the yeah. for 201 level episodes, we want to go narrow and deep on just a couple of topics relating to the play. So today we will be talking about performance history and all of the women in this play and why Richard hates them. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and we spend a lot of time thinking about the topics that we want to talk about for 201s. <laughs> Sometimes we do, not always. Are this you- time I definitely did, though, because I saw I've seen a production of Richard III multiple times like the same production multiple times sure. because of camp sure and i started having lots of feelings about it great okay so, so i'm ready to talk are you insinuating that we usually don't put a lot of time into the stuff we talk about no i just well okay maybe i don't maybe i just sometimes i do just draw a topic out of thin air because it's like oh this well, is the thing that i think sure. about when i think about this play that's what i okay mean. all right in uh in our 101 episodes we discuss definitions of rhetorical devices and we give examples. But at the 201 level, like for this episode, we revisit a device that we've already done in a 101 episode and we discuss the uses or possible characterizations of that particular device in performance of that particular play. Right. So in our 101 episodes, we say over and over again that identifying the rhetoric Uh, And the rhetorical devices helps us understand a character or give us a possible line reading. Um, But what does that actually mean? So to answer that, we need to look at the specific context in which this device is used in this specific play and think about the kind of device it is. 
So this week we're revisiting Simplochi, which for those of you who forgot what that is, it's okay. You're not being quizzed. It means the repetition. Yes, you are. It means the repetition of beginnings and endings, right? Blood will have blood, right? Yep. For a very simple example. The thing about Simplochi and Richard III, though, it's not just one character. This entire fucking play is riddled with Simplochi. It's like endemic in the text. For example, in Act 1, Scene 2, uh, we've got the famous Richard uh, and Anne scene where he's wooing her or attempting to woo her and get her to marry him, um, literally over her father-in-law's dead body. And he succeeds, kinda. Uh, and he, once he has succeeded in being all gross with Anne, um, she leaves and he turns to us, the audience, and says, was ever woman in this manner wooed? Was ever woman in this manner won? And so you've got that repetition of was ever woman in this manner, which is just a repetition of a beginning, which is technically anaphora, but bear with me. Then in Act 1, Scene 3, uh, there's... There's an exchange between uh, Queen Elizabeth, who is Edward IV's wife, and her brother, uh, Lord Rivers. And he says, no other harm for loss of such a lord. The loss of such a lord includes all harm. So we've got some anti-metaboly there, but also mm. beginnings of rep uh, repetition of beginnings and endings. I love that one. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a really solid uh, example. Good job, you. Yeah. No other harm for loss of such a lord. The loss of such a lord includes all harms. And that's Rivers saying that and Elizabeth has the second half of that line. Further in Act 3, what have we, or in Act 1, Scene 3, what do we have, Jess? Right. So then we have Margaret's curse, which mm -hmm. is just a great scene. Um, and she says, Edward, thy son, that now is Prince of Wales, for Edward, my son, that was Prince of Wales, die in his youth by like untimely violence, thyself a queen, for me that was a queen, outlive thy glory like my wretched self. Uh, so, I, I mean, it's just, just all over the place in there. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm struck hearing these and reading these and seeing these again at how often um, this device is encompassed within other devices like this is not mm -hmm. the only thing happening in oh, any yeah. of these examples definitely not um and it it there's well it's all it's all just so interesting yeah 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 and here's where it gets really great um we have what i call the the wailing women scenes parts one and two right so in act two scene two you get all the women in the play together you've got Duchess of York, that is uh, Richard's mother. You've got Elizabeth, uh, the queen, and you've got uh, Margaret and uh, I think Anne. Oh, yes. And Anne is in there too. Anne, who by this time, I think has married Richard, poor woman. Yeah. And here's the exchange. What stay had I but Edward and he's gone. And this is an exchange. It goes from woman to woman. What stay had I but Edward and he's gone. What stay had we but Clarence, and he's gone? What stays had I but they, and they are gone? Was never widow had so dear a loss? Were never orphans had so dear a loss? Was never mother had so dear a loss? Hmm. So this is right after Clarence has been killed, and they've got um, all these women are gathered with Clarence's kids. So they've been orphaned, and it's just this lamentation that goes on and on and on with this repetition of beginning and endings. And it's you'll find, too, that it's women more often than not who do this device in this play, which I think is an interesting trend. Yeah. Well, so, you know, that first sort of wailing woman scene is in two, two, and then in four, four, which is kind of a nice parallel. Mm -hmm. um, 
they come back and and wail some more. So we have, I had an Edward till a Richard killed him. I had a husband till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst an Edward till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst a Richard till a Richard killed him. Uh, and it, it continues. And this is sort of an uh, an enumeration of Richard's crimes and right. all of the babies that he's killed. Right. Uh, and then in one of the best scenes in this whole play, which is the ghosty dream scene, which is 5-5, five five, um, it's, it's the parade of ghosts. They all sort of come in. Uh, it's the ghost of the, the young princes who were killed in the tower. It's mm-hmm. the ghost of Lady Anne. It's the ghost of Clarence. Clarence. Yeah. It's their fourth ghost. Oh, uh, there's like six of them. Uh, Henry yeah. the sixth comes in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a um, lot of ghosts. Um, yeah, lots of And ghosts. they say, they all sort of say, think upon this thing, despair and die. Mm-hmm. Think upon this other thing, despair and die. Yeah. Think upon this third thing, despair and die. And it's it's constant. It's every yeah. single one of them gets this. And it's this beautiful, symmetrical s- style of speaking. And a curse, again. And right? Yeah, they're cursing. You know, because uh, Margaret delivers that, uh, using that re- rhetoric, uh-huh. Um, in her curses and then the ghosts curse him again think upon me a lot of times it's like personal pronouns think upon mm-hmm. Anne, the despair mm-hmm. and die think upon henry despair and die um yeah and like then richard wakes up from that dream and his entire speech which is a really famous speech the you know richard, mm-hmm. loves, richard, richard loves richard i that am, is I. am I. I yeah is there a murderer here no yes i am mm-hmm. so on yeah, and I think he says the word myself in that speech like mm-hmm. know, 13 times, something yeah. like that. It's crazy, crazy number. It's a good speech. I don't it love is. this play, uh, but that's that's a good speech. I'm about Act 5. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, and then uh, overall, this play has a lot of structural or shall we say dramaturgical symbology. Um, the words of Margaret's and Anne's curses are repeated at the beginning and end of the play. The play begins and ends with Richard's own speeches of self-loathing. And here's the thing. Are you ready for this, Jess? No. Wait. Wait. Are you ready? Now I'm ready. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Now, if you've been tracking both tetralogies, right? Remember that this entire War of the Roses thing begins with Richard II, Richard II, Uh Uh and goes all the way through to Richard III. Now, if you've been tracking that- Yeah, it's like 100 years or some shit. Yeah. Here's some, like, extended simplogy, okay? You'll note that in the beginning, Richard II was conquered by a Henry, a.k.a. Bolingbroke, a.k.a. Henry IV, who was banished and exiled in France and then came back across the sea to claim his right. And now, at the end of Richard III's play, another Henry, a.k.a. Richmond, a.k.a. Tudor, a.k.a. Henry VII, has come from exile in France to claim his right. Get out. You just rocked my world. Yeah. That's like... It was amazing. Hyper-tetralogical simplochi. Yeah. Like, across eight plays. Eight fucking plays. Isn't that crazy? It's it's wild, and yeah. I'm about it. But that Shakespeare, he kind of knew what he was doing. Damn, dude. I mean, also, right? it's a coincidence of history a little bit, but still. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I suppose Shakespeare didn't <laughs> invent this. <laughs> he certainly did not invent the names yes. Richard and Henry. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, rhetoric, y'all. It's mm-hmm. it's the fucking tits. Yep. So. Richard III is the play of Simplochi. 
Yeah. Uh, so should we talk about some some stuff? Yeah. My, my bag of tricks this week? Yeah, let's talk about your production history stuff. Oh my god. All right. Boo-boo. I'm so, ready. So I'm going to tell y'all a little story about my boy, Collie Sipper. So at the beginning of the 18th century, right? So we're in the 1700s. That's how centuries work. An Englishman by the name of Collie Sipper heavily revised Richard III. And he emerged with a play that was roughly half Shakespeare and half original. And this adaptation of Richard III became so popular that if you went to see Richard III, anytime between, let's say, 1730 and 1920, you were seeing the Sibber version. You were not seeing Shakespeare. I mean, you were seeing a little Shakespeare. But you were seeing the Sibber version. So Alice Wood, uh, who was a theater historian, wrote in a book in 1909 that Sibber's version, quote, is still holding the stage and is still preferred by a large part of the community whose opinions cannot be ignored. It's wild. The, I, the play itself is, it's Richard III, more or less. Like, you, you would see it and you'd be like, oh, it was Richard III. There we go. But the, he completely displaced this play, which is widely regarded today as one of Shakespeare's early masterpieces, um, is just sort of mind-boggling to me. So uh, there's an advertisement for an 1862 performance of Richard III uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and it lists Trestle among the top characters billed for Richard III, which tells us that this was a production of Sibber's play, not Shakespeare's. Because I see you making that face, Aubrey. You're like, who the fuck is Trestle? Uh, so in Shakespeare's play, Trestle appears only once with Lady Anne in Act 1, Scene 2, and has no lines. Like, not a character. And yet, in this 1862 advertisement, he's billed as like, and, you know, it's it's starring this person as Richard III, and this person as Margaret, and this person as Trestle. What? That's yeah. like, um, what was that one character? Morton. That's like Morton, oh, the mystery man Morton. from Henry IV. <laughs> like, who the fuck is Trestle? Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, that's what I did when I when I came across this uh, advertisement in my research low these many years ago when I was researching and found all of this information. I was like, who the fuck is Trestle? I was like, do you mean Tyrrell? Like, who, 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 do you, who do you mean? All right. So all of this to say... In, in Sibber's version, Trestle's like a big important role. He kills the kids um, and does a lot of other things. So the most, maybe not the most, but more notable differences between uh, major characters um, in each version of the play sort of work together to create a version of Richard III that seems enthusiastic in its support of the South's cause during the American Civil War, which might help explain why it was one of the most popular plays in that region during the war. Um, I think I have mentioned before, once or twice, um, that this is this is where my first master's thesis lived, and this is the uh, nucleus for my dissertation. So I'm, I'm living here. I know a whole lot about theater in Richmond, Virginia during the Civil War. But Richard III in Richmond, Virginia during the American Civil War um, was the second most popular play. Full stop. Which is interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, and there's a whole lot more to say about it, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the zipper version particularly, so I'm going to get myself back on track. Okay, so the most striking difference between uh, Shakespeare's text and the zipper text is that Sibber's Richard is more transparent and straightforward than Shakespeare's, uh, which is this, this sentence is a sentence that I remembered writing as I was watching um, the ASC version, what, three weeks ago, whenever it was that I saw it, four weeks ago. And I was like, wait a minute, Sibber's Richard is more transparent? Because I think Shakespeare's Richard is already pretty transparent. Um, and then I went back to the text and I was like, oh yeah, all right. Okay, sure. Uh, so anyway, he's more transparent, and straightforward. Shakespeare's Richard is haunted and worried and anxious and occasionally closed off from his spectators. Um, but Sibber's Richard provides explanation and motivation to the audience. So the intact Shakespeare portions of the Sibber play were cobbled together from Richard III, both parts of Henry IV, Henry V, and all three parts of Henry VI. <laughs> he basically took all of the histories, except for Richard II and King John, jumped them into a bag, shook them up, dumped them out on a table, like, just took his arm and cleared half the table off and was like, all right, now I'm going to fill in the blanks. That's what he did. However, his version, you know, became so, so popular and doesn't feel like it's not Richard III. And it gave birth to such famous lines as conscience avant Richard's himself again. Uh, and the second half of off with his head, so much for Buckingham. And both of these lines made it into Laurence Olivier's 1955 film. Both of them. He does say off with his head, right? Yes. But he doesn't Just say so much for Buckingham. So much for Buckingham. Uh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, wow. And also, if I just said to you, Richard's himself again, you would not question that. Yeah, no. Yeah. It sounds like Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. It feels familiar. You feel like mm -hmm. Richard says that. Well, yeah. Shakespeare's Richard doesn't. <laughs> he, he sure don't. Also, and this is this is like the most this is my my bomb to sort of go out on for you here. Um, the the most interesting thing that our good pal Collie Sibber did to this play is that he excised some of Shakespeare's most famous lines. Most notably, the first line of the goddamn play. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the son of York. That is not in the Sibber version. If you went and saw Richard III for a hundred and goddamn 50 years, you would not hear that play or that but, line. But like, why? It's I've, the best, most iconic I've, line. I couldn't tell you. Why, Collie Sibber? Why? I don't, I don't, I don't, I got nothing. I don't know. That's annoying. So, <laughs> it is. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. There, well, yes. Anyway, that's what I have to say about Richard III in the 19th century. If you were seeing it, you were not seeing it. You were seeing a different play. And it's it's kind of wild. So if you're interested uh, and you want to read about a little a little more about it, there are, I mean, just frankly, Google Collie Sibber, mm -hmm. Richard III. Uh, and that's C-O-L-L-E-Y. And then his last name is C-I-B-B-E-R, Collie Sibber. Uh, or if you're like me and you have misspelled it for the first year that you're working on it, you think his name is Coley Sibber because you're missing an L. <laughs> so anyway, and that's what I got. Richard III. I remember, I remember when, was it you who directed 
Yes. The Collie Sibber in our directing yes. class? It was. Yes. Yeah. Of course it yeah. was. What am I saying? Of course it was. Of course Who else would have done it? it but I remember <laughs> that you um you chose the scene where Richard is trying to get Elizabeth to talk uh-huh. to her daughter, Elizabeth, uh-huh. on Richard's behalf. And yeah. there's a really cool um Eliz- Queen Elizabeth has a, a an aside where she basically says, I'm gonna seem to Richard like I'm going to go along with him, but I'm actually not. I'm going to plot against him or whatever. Yeah. Like she has this whole thing that he completely, he just made that shit up. Yeah. Yeah. But and he gave her more agency. So like, I can't be mad at him. Yeah. And also that, I mean, spending so much time with this version of the play has colored what I think Richard the third is. So when I mm-hmm. went to see the AC version version production uh, last month, we got to that scene and then yeah. that part wasn't there. And I was right. like, why would they cut that? And then I went, oh, they didn't. It's just, it's fucking Kali Sipper fucking my shit up. Right. Bruh. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I, it's, the legacy, frankly, is, is profound and lingering, um, of, mm-hmm. of this, this little dude. Uh, and he was not alone in, in thinking that he wanted to, reshape Shakespeare there were a spate of them in the the late 18th and early 19th centuries of people thinking that they were gonna do different things David Garrick Nahum Tate Tate yep (laughs) uh Collie Sibber's brother Theophilus Sibber oh my god these Uh names Uh uh-huh I think he did an R&J maybe I'm I'm not sure wow um yeah it's well you know People yeah. do, people do. And adaptation, frankly, is not new. People have been wanting to adapt these stories. I mean, Shakespeare adapted these stories. Sure. So, oh, yeah. You know, all, all art is adaptation. Yeah. I was just reading that. I was, um, I revisited my Norton, as I was saying to you before we started mm-hmm. recording. I revisited my Norton with all of my, like, first year of grad school marginalia in the foreword of Richard. Um, which brings me to... Aubrey's Corner. Mm-hmm. Yay. So first, I just, I feel like I need to share the really fun anecdote that everybody likes to say about Richard III and Burbage and Shakespeare, because it's real funny. Huh? So, I love this. I love this. I love this. I'm so glad you're saying it, because I've completely yeah. forgotten about it, and I love it so much. Oh my God, I, listeners, prepare yourself. I literally, I literally wrote in my Norton, right, in the margin of my Norton, you can't, maybe you can see it. It says L O L. This is Aubrey circa 2013 being like, bah. I feel like I hadn't, I maybe had read it in the introduction, but I feel like maybe Paul said it in class one time and I died. Yeah. It's, it's pretty great. And everybody yeah. loves to tell this joke. So do it. Hear it. I mean, Take it away. you can tell it on the tour, like at the playhouse. Oh, okay. that's right. That's the, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here it is. Just. Yeah, uh, this is the top of the it's it's in the Norton second edition uh, introduction to Richard III. Among the very few anecdotes about Shakespeare that date from his own lifetime is a ribald story recording recorded in 1602 in the diary of a London law student, John Manningham. He says, quote, upon a time when Burbage played Richard III, there was a citizen grew so far in liking with him that before she went from the play, she appointed him to come that night unto her by the name of Richard the Third. 
Shakespeare, overhearing their conclusion, went before, was entertained, and at his game ere Burbage came. <laughs> the message being brought that Richard III was at the door, Shakespeare caused return to be made that William the Conqueror was before Richard III. Ah! I love it. I love it so much. That's ah! my favorite story. It's great. I yeah. mean, and then, you know, this um, intro was written by Stephen Greenblatt. And he just goes on to be like, okay, this probably says a lot more about, like, the law student conveying this anecdote than it does about actual Shakespeare and Burbage. But I like to think that their dynamic was kind of like this. I like to feel like like Richard Burbage and William Shakespeare had a bromance for the ages. You know, I kind of feel like you have to, if you're going to be in an acting company with someone your entire adult life, like, that's the kind of relationship you're definitely going to have. Yeah, for real. So I love that. So I thought I would share that <laughs> for those who don't already know the story. Um, but then I went to, on to read the rest of this introduction and came to the conclusion of, what the fuck, Stephen, Stephen Greenblatt? And here's why. <laughs> this introduction was very clearly written by a man. And let me show you how. Hold on. Not to, like, disparage our male listeners, but listen to this maleness. Hold on. Okay. His, meaning Richard's, is the psychology of the rapist. And the character in Shakespeare closest to Richard III is the rapist Tarquin in The Rape of Lucrece, whose lust is excited precisely by the barriers he is forced to overcome. First of all, rape, rape is not about lust, it's about power. Moving on. This chafing structure is why the violent verbal assaults upon Richard, most intense from the women in the play, seem only to intensify his aggressive energies. It is perhaps also why Richard seems to lose much of his erotic power as soon as he has established himself on the throne. This entire intro is about how, like, Richard is a, like, a dark horse sex pot and totally erotic. Ew. Um, as, a, as a male icon of male power. Also, Ew. he just flat out labels Anne as shallow, corruptible, naively ambitious, and above all, frightened. And mm. Yeah. Mm. oh, I have feelings yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. She's like two scenes. She's not. Yeah. Oh, mm-mm. yeah. Mm-mm. Yes. All of that. Oh, that was me this afternoon Stephen when I revisited Greenblatt. this stuff. Yeah. And I, you know what? I, um, I usually uh, agree pr- most of the time with the stuff that he writes uh, about, about certain things. But this, I was like, okay, you man, don't tell yeah. me about this woman and who she was when she's only in two fucking scenes. Right. And you're like talking about rape culture like you don't know what the fuck you're saying. Like, stop it right now. Also, stop it so much. Not This is not an excuse, but I think it, it might be part of an explanation. This is what, 97 was when this was published? Yeah. So it was probably prepared in like... 95 oh sure yeah this is dated so, yeah it's a it's a whole like world away frankly but yeah steven greenblatt need Dude. you to be a little more woke my friend 2018 hashtag times up hashtag me too okay mm. so like and let's just not ever call rape a lustful urge because it's not no so anyway so just getting past that i needed to air my grievances about that real quick good um moving on to what I actually wanted to talk about because, okay, so for those of you who don't know, I've been um, running a uh, the ASC Shakespeare uh, theater camp 
for for eight weeks. We have two sessions of, you know, kids age 13 to 19, basically rising eighth graders through rising college freshmen. Um, they come to the ASC, they stay for three weeks. They, in that time, uh, get cast in three different plays. They put on a show. And in that time also, you know, one of the perks of being at camp at the ASC is that you get to see shows, right? You get to, and, you know, and we just opened Richard III and Emma and As You Like It. So I've seen our production of Richard III at least four times now. And I don't have the same like white hot rage feelings that I know you did coming out of seeing that production, Jess. But I wasn't white hot rage. I just didn't like it. Okay. Um, I didn't have uh, that visceral of a response to it. But what I did appreciate was that Greg Brostrom, who plays Richard, revealed to me uh, in his interpretation of Richard just how um, afraid Richard is of women uh, and of the women in his life and of the women in this play. Um, and seeing it over and over again, I was like, oh, okay, this is not clearly not a coincidence of tonight. This is like a choice that Greg is making um, that I think is interesting. And I've never seen that really before. Uh, so let's talk about Richard, the er beta male. Okay. Um, before you go any further, I yeah. just want you to throw out a quick definition of er since it's been a while since we've used the term. Oh, yeah. So er just means early or first, right? The original. Like, original, the pre- thing before there was a thing to be the pre uh, words man okay <laughs> like i said i my first day off from camp was today so yeah. also I it's still summer collecting my brains um okay so let's talk about richard the er beta male and if you've heard the term beta male before you know that there's like this whole bro culture of like the alpha male and the beta male and the beta males are like the quote-unquote nice guys who can't ever get the girl right and then they deeply resent women and then they go and shoot them because uh, they can't have them or whatever um so richard i think is one of those guys. So in his very first speech, now is the winter of our discontent, blah de blah he basically reveals to the audience that he is, because he is unattractive and misshapen and no ladies want to fuck him, he's going to make trouble for every other person in his life. He's going to overturn, he's going to take the throne, he's going to overturn the kingdom to make sport for himself because he can't sport with a lady the way his hot brother Edward does. So, He's got open disdain for Elizabeth, um, which has been building over the course of the tetralogy, right? He's, he hates uh, Elizabeth Rivers, who's Edward IV's wife, from the beginning. Uh, and one of the first things he says about her to anyone else, to Clarence, his own brother, is why this it is. When men are ruled by women, tis not the king that sends you to the tower, my Lady Grey, his wife, Clarence, tis she. Right. So and it's that classic, you know, men still do this now. Like it's that classic. Oh, you know, he's henpecked. She totally rules the roost. Right. As if that was a structure that somehow is being inverted. Um, then in the next scene, Richard gaslights and intimidates Anne into marrying him by blaming her for his crimes. He basically says to her, I did all of this evil stuff. I killed your husband. I killed your father-in-law. I killed all all of the men in your family like your dad warwick i killed them all because i love you so much it was you it was all for you right he completely gaslights her 
Um, he openly disrespects and fears powerful women like Margaret of Anjou and his own mother uh, and calls them names, but cl like clearly sort of is, is kind of terrified by them. And my favorite, favorite thing, like he goes through, you know, he gloats openly to us, the audience, about what he's just done to Anne. Um, he tries by, by the time we meet his mother for the first time at all, you know, we've sort of been drawn complicitly into his league, right? He, he confides in us about all the shit he's going to do. And he's kind of like charming and cheeky about it to where you kind of side with him a little bit. Um, and then, so he, he's, he gets kind of cocky. And by the time we get around to act four, where he clearly has gotten rid of Anne, she died, um, in, and the play insinuates by his hand, somehow she has died. Um, and he's looking to marry his niece. <laughs> Just take a moment for that. Um, his niece, Elizabeth, who's the daughter of Queen Elizabeth. By the time he gets there, he thinks that the same shit that won Anne over, being like, oh, it was for your beauty. I was so in love. Elizabeth, tell, tell your daughter that. Woo her for me. And Elizabeth is like, fuck no, fuck you. He gets completely out of his text when he tries to repeat that same tactic with Anne on Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's answers are striking and totally throw him off. So Jess, if you will indulge me. Sure. We're going to read uh, just this little bit of Stichomythia, which is um, a Greek word for the rapid fire back and forth one liners between characters. <clears throat> um, act four, scene four. Starting around, I don't know which it is. You've got the Arden. Yeah. And I've got my Norton. It's around line 275 for me. It starts with um, Infer Fair England's Peace by this alliance. Um, Elizabeth says, right before all of this, she says, she says, what were I best to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. Her father's brother would be her lord, or shall I say her uncle? Or that he's, or he that slew her brothers and her uncles. Under what title shall I woo for thee? That God, the law, my honor, and her love can make seem pleasing to her tender years. Which, first of all, sick burn elizabeth sick fucking burn um but do you see the exchange i'm talking about yeah it's like almost a hundred lines later in the arden oh damn yeah which that's I'm weird really interested in and now i want to get out my norton and compare oh yeah that's but very strange my norton is supporting my microphone so okay. <laughs> yeah, i will not <laughs> yeah all right okay so if you would read well, actually, it doesn't matter to me. Would you prefer to be Richard or Elizabeth? I care not. Okay, great. Then I will do Richard and you do Elizabeth. Oh, I'll do Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you will. will. Yeah, okay. Will. So listen in this exchange how every single thing Richard tries to come up with, Elizabeth has an immediate retort, right? And it throws him off. So listen for that. Infer fair England's peace by this alliance. Which she shall purchase with still lasting war. Tell her the king that may command entreats that at her hands, which the king's king forbids. Say she shall be high and mighty queen to veil the title as her mother doth. Say I will love her everlastingly. But how long shall that title ever last? Sweetly enforce unto her fair life's end. But how long fairly shall her sweet life last? As long as heaven and nature lengthens it. As long as hell and Richard likes of it. Ooh. Say I, her sovereign, am her subject love. But she, your subject, loathe such sovereignty. Be eloquent in my behalf to her. An honest tale speeds best, being plainly told. Then plainly to her tell my loving tale. Plain and not honest is too harsh a style. 
Your reasons are too shallow and too quick. Oh no, my reasons are too deep and dead. Too deep and dead. Poor infants in their graves. Harp not on that string, madam, that is past. Harp on it still shall I till heartstrings break. Now by my George, my garter, and my crown. Profaned, dishonored, and the third usurped. I swear. By nothing, for this is no oath. Thy George, profaned, hath lost his lordly honor. Thy garter, blemished, pawned his knightly virtue. Thy crown, usurped, disgraced his kingly glory. If something thou wouldst swear to be believed, swear then by something that thou hast not wronged. Then by myself. Thyself is self-misused. Now by the world. Tis full of thy foul wrongs. My father's death. Thy life hath it dishonored. Why then, by God. God's wrong is most of all. Okay, and then stop there. So, one, she's a smart lady, and she's picking up on every single little thing. She will not let him get a word in edgewise at all. Let's just respect how fucking cool that is. Then, though, Elizabeth's answers are, they are quick and striking. They totally throw him off. She never answers completely affirmatively to his suit for her daughter which is why i find it interesting jess that collie sibber went ahead and just added in like an internal monologue thing for her because like after that she says send to me you know by messenger later you'll know you'll know her mind later right she doesn't ever say yes i will do this for you she just says send to me right so she kind of she kind of equivocates right so she lets she defers Uh, by equivocating she lets richard think that she has assented um and he yeah and he gets cocky and he it fools him and he as soon as she leaves the room says relenting fool and shallow changing woman right um throughout the play he has nothing but derogatory comments to make about women and womankind um and all this to say i think it just it just became clear watching the play four times over uh, in the last two months um that he degrades them because he can't quite control all the women particularly not women like his own mom um and margaret um and the only way he can control them is by getting them to marry him eventually right like yoking them to him um he's still at their mercy to a certain degree because of his unattractiveness too they always have the upper hand over him and can call him any number of names about his physical appearance which you know then i kind of go back to Greenblatt's intro to this play where he says that Richard loses a lot of his erotic allure or his power after he has the crown, especially with the women. Um, but because I don't know, he's like the bad boy, but then once he gets the crown, he's less attractive, even like being a bunchbacked spider or whatever. So I don't know. I just had this epiphany that it seems to me, at least in this particular production, but I think you can read it in the text too. I think it's textually supported. Richard's resentment towards women drives a lot of his actions in the play and ultimately contributes to his downfall. Yeah. Just a little bit of food for thought. I like it. I, I'm just always struck by how wide ranging the things are that you and I are interested in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we are a marriage of true minds. It's true. And, it's true. and I do I think, seem to always come back to like a feminist root because I just sure, can't but not, I think that's but... good, you know. And I, I think we're between the two of us, our our listeners are getting the full experience, perhaps. I hope so. so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, a little, right. little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little yeah. column A, a little column B. 
little revisionist history, a little feminist theory. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Um, all right. So let's we talk gossip. Gossip. Dick centric. Uh, <laughs> all about tricky dicky. Yeah. So. so you know, as usual with with our, our 201 episodes, we're going to start it out with just a, a whole slew of productions you can see in the next year or so. Uh, first yeah. one is happening at Musifire Theater Company in Evanston, Illinois. Shout out to fellow S&P alum Gemma Levy. That's her company. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Did you oh. not know that? I did not. Yeah. No. Uh, I don't know that she's still involved because she's full time in Virginia now. But right, she, yeah, that's yeah, she started yeah. it. Uh, yeah, so they're doing Richard the uh, Third starting August 11th, which I don't know what today is, but I feel like that's gonna happen before this episode drops. Um, yes. But it runs until Barely. the first week of September, so you cool. you've got time. Uh, then we've got looks like uh, the Shakespeare Theater in Berkeley is doing uh, an entire War of the Roses thing through from Henry VI through Richard III, and that's going from August 22nd to, to September 9th. Mm-hmm. Seattle Shakespeare Company is doing it September 12th to October 7th. And the American Shakespeare Center, as we have said already, um, it's running now through December 1st. The Rustic Mechanicals in Clarksburg, West Virginia, are taking it on their 2018 tour, so check them out, see if they will be near you at any point. And shout out to Chela uh, Olivito, who is in that troupe. She's also a, a graduate of our program. Amazing. West Virginia. I know. What up, Chela? Program folks. Yeah. Doing her thing out there. Um, also, STC, Shakespeare Theater Company in Washington, D.C., is running Richard from February 5th to March 10 of 2019. Mm-hmm. So prepare for that. That's coming in a few months. Yeah. Orlando Shakespeare Theater in partnership with UCF which I presume is the University of Central Florida in Orlando uh, are doing it uh, the end of March through the end of April of next year. Mm -hmm. This is super exciting. Synetic theater in Arlington, Virginia is going to do Richard the third from May 15 to June 16 of 2019. Synetic is fucking amazing. They, it is nonverbal. So it's the story, but it's all like, dance and movement and like oh god they're so they're so fucking cool i i can't wait for that one Mm -hmm. i'm so excited about it (laughs) i hope you get a chance to see it and then tell us about it yeah um sweet tea shakespeare in fayetteville north carolina is doing it uh next june uh death of kings seize the crown eight of shakespeare's history plays that's too many (laughs) it's a lot uh the southwest shakespeare company in mesa arizona this is part of their 2018 2019 season they're doing it all all eight of Mm -hmm. them also apparently brave spirits in alexandria virginia which again S&P alums are, are part of that that's uh charlene and um cassie ash are are there um Mm -hmm. And they're doing the entire eight as well. Oh, are they? They are. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're not going to even. Yeah, they're not going to get around to Richard until 2020. Oh, because they're doing our list says 2020. One at a time. Got it. They're doing the entire history cycle, and it's going to take them two years. And they're fundraising for that right now because I follow them on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And actually, if you're outside the U.S., you're kind of shit out of luck unless I, (laughs) I I just don't know where to look. Because I went to our favorite, you know, touchstone at beham.ac.uk uh, to see what's what productions of Richard are happening in the UK. And it's just one, but it's a really cool one. If you're in York um, at the Pop-Up Globe, Shakespeare's Rose Theater, 
that's it's running um there through september 1st so that's really fucking cool i'm hearing some some interesting things about the rose theater so i'd love if someone out there went and saw it and told us about it yeah and all of these links we're going to post on our website this week so you can uh, get to them through us i also thought it was interesting i posted a link here to this review i read on the new york times about a an adaptation of richard the third which is teenage dick um so let me which, which sounds weird but like let me pull up the link really fast it's and not, read you not maybe the best bit. hyperlink teenage dick review. Mm. <laughs> maybe maybe we're gonna choose yeah, some different okay. keywords, New York Times. This, I know, right? Um, but this is from June twentieth, uh, New York Times review in a teenage take on Richard the Third. Now is the prom of our discontent. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, and it's um, it's you know, it's an adaptation of Richard the Third set in a high school setting. Um, focused around uh, a Sadie Hawkins dance. It's at a Ma Yi theater production that opened in June at the Public Theater. And it features many actors um, with physical disabilities. Cool. Um, yeah. So it, it focused on that because, of course, you know, a huge part of Richard III's character and yeah. his characterization is the fact that he is deformed, right? Um, and usually it is able-bodied actors playing the role and in some way contorting their bodies. Yeah. Um, and, but this actually includes um, many, not just the Richard character, but many um, actors with uh, physical disabilities of all, of all kinds um, and cerebral palsy and things like that. I love and, that. Uh, it, yeah. It just sounded like a really cool production and, uh, you know, and obviously it's the basic story of Richard, but it's been like transposed into a high school setting. So like, you know, um, cool article i will post a link to that too it's i don't think still running um but it sounded like a very cool thing and if anyone out there is listening and you got a chance to see it because you live in in uh new york and got to go to the public theater and see that production i would love to know what you thought about it so i included that in our gossip as well because it sounded fucking awesome amazing um well i've got just one thing to add (gasps) yeah and I'm I'm late to this party. I'm really late to this party. Oh, so if you are, uh, if you if you have Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. um, you know that they have a streaming video service uh, attached to that. And on Amazon Prime, there is a mini series called The White Queen. Yeah, it was originally uh, on Stars. Yes, now That's it's great. on Amazon yeah. Prime. Yeah, uh, which is based on um, a series of historical novels by. Philippa Gregory. Okay, I found something on the web for Hey series of Storico novels by. Take a look. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> needs you, Siri. Um, the robots <laughs> fail at Shakespeare, part two. I said historical, <laughs> not Hey Siri. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's based on the series of historical novels by Philippa Gregory, uh, and it covers essentially. Uh, Edward IV to Richard III, basically. Yeah. It starts yeah. um, after Edward IV has taken the throne from Richard, not Richard, Henry VI, uh, and ends at Battle of Bosworth Field. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so I binged the entire thing in oh, it's so good. the last two days. Yeah. I, I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. I watched like seven episodes on Sunday and then the mm-hmm. final three on Monday. Yeah. Um, so... I have some I have some feelings. <gasps> Let's First talk of all, about it. I think it's I think it's great. 
um, I recommend watching. It is very sexy. Oh, yeah, it is. It is very sexy. It's also What's his name who plays Edward Four is Jeremy Irons' son. Oh, well, that explains it. He's a sex pot. It just oh runs God, in so that hot. family and uh, it's like, go with it. He's beautiful. His butt, though. His I just want to take a bite out of his oh butt. It's so good. Um, uh-huh. Just as as a, a putting it out there in the world, if you have not seen the show and you feel like now you want to go see the show after hearing us talk about it, episode one is a little rapey. Um, yeah. Just briefly, there is no actual rape, but it gets a little... Uh, non-consensual for a, a second there. But on the whole, oh my god, there's so much sex in the show. It's like the Tudors, but way less trashy. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a Philippa Gregory novel. Yes, so like she's yeah. all about the sexy. It's very, it's very sexy. Um, but I also yeah. think it's I love it's her books. good. And I, I felt to me a little more historically accurate than mm-hmm. the Tudors, um, until we got to the Richard stuff, which yeah. is why I want to talk about it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was as I was saying to my friend Courtney two nights ago, it is so weird for me, a Shakespearean, to watch any representation of Richard III that is in no way influenced by, based on, or related to Shakespeare's Richard III. Mm-hmm. Like, this Richard III is not disabled in any way. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, he's young. He's... I don't. Courtney thinks he's really sexy. I think he's he kind of like handsome. Like I, he's not. He <laughs> does nothing for me. I was like, he's nowhere near as hot as his brother on the show. Oh my but god, he is, no. He is kind of cute. He's got his own kind of appeal. I doesn't. Yeah. He does nothing for me. I think he looks like okay. a child at all times. <laughs> but um, some people are into that. I mean, they also give him a thing, terrible like, haircut. Yes, so, he's a like, bad haircut. It's a very bad haircut. Um, but also, so my. My Tudor history is is pretty okay. You know, yeah. I've I've got a lot of names and dates and timelines in my back pocket. Um, yeah. But pre-Battle of Bosworth Field, I'm kind of useless. So I was, I spent, you know, most of the show furiously Googling, being like, did that happen? Did that happen? Because my knowledge of these two kings yeah. is based off of Shakespeare's plays, which as we yeah. know, doesn't always get the history right. Oh God, no. So what I was most surprised to learn was that Richard married Lady Anne, Anne Neville, but at no point wooed her over the corpse of Henry VI because they were married for like 20 years. Um, And and she obviously outlived him and went on to marry again. And she never actually married Edward, um, Henry VI's son. They were engaged and then he died before they could get married. Yeah, that never happened. Oh, also that marriage scene is rapey yeah that might be straight it's up rape, great actually it's not even rapey i think it's just rape it's... or no are you talking about her sister though because her sister's no. more involved in that series like isabella for yeah sure no i'm talking about Clarence. when when Anne has her marriage night with queen margaret's son edward oh yeah and yeah. it's it's real gross it's not good yeah i felt like isabella's marriage to clarence was less rapey Oh. Not great, but he he was pretty mean to her, though. Uh, I feel like you might be transposing some things. Maybe. I watched it two days ago. It's pretty you fresh. Did. You <laughs> did. I watched it, like, two years ago. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's... um, 
Everything it's is good. crazy beyond yes. Edward the Fourth's butt. Uh, his so. butt is so good. Uh, <laughs> it's you know if you if you've got ten hours to sink into mm-hmm. something that's fluffy and historical, you know, go for it. I think the the series is really centered around um, Elizabeth Woodville. Yes. yes, am I? Yeah, that's right, Elizabeth Woodville, uh, mm-hmm. who is Edward the Fourth's wife. She, that that actress I, I don't know who it is but she's great um and she does a, a great job and then uh it's it's great it's great it's great it's great uh but it was very strange not to see mm-hmm. shakespeare's richard the third and just to see like a, a rando richard the third um and i like battle of bosworth i was like well i mean you have to you have to say my kingdom force but you, you have to like you must it is the law. If you are showing the Battle of Bosworth, you you must say my kingdom for a horse. And they didn't. And I was like offended. Uh, they did say something like the king needs a horse or a horse for the king right. or something. Yeah. It was like close. But I was like, Philip Gregory, I need you to be better. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. it's written and it shall be so. You must say these things. Um, yeah. Anyway, The White Queen. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Let us know what you think, um, and then you can you can come have feelings with little old me. Yeah, I always appreciate Philippa Gregory for like she centers a lot on like lady power, and she yes. does in that series and in the books. Um, yeah, pretty strongly insinuate that Elizabeth does do some witchcraft. Oh, which, like, yeah, she's, which, she's like, a she witch. was accused of right. Yeah. Um, men always want to accuse powerful women who who have sway over men for whatever reason but they want to always accuse them of like having witchy power um over a man um but in in her books she really like takes that literally and like they have um they're one of their names you know it's her name her surname is woodville but she's also like elizabeth rivers the rivers family yeah yeah because woodville was from her first marriage yeah Yeah. um and rivers and like her family is like tied to the water and it's like Mm -hmm. modern river magic or whatever but yeah it's fun to see in that series like uh the actual love story between richard and anne like she actually gives that to them and that they they actually really like each other and and went through a lot to finally be together yeah um, through the, all the Warwick stuff and um, and you know all the flip flopping of the brothers because they it shows them uh-huh. how to turn on each other and betray each other and and then come yeah. back together. Um, you know who I love in that series too is um, the actress who plays Margaret Beaufort. Oh who fuck, is Henry, I hate her. Henry Ugh. Tudor's mother. Oh, she's insufferable a- twat. Oh, she's amazing though. No. Uh-uh. Yes. No, I want her. No, out I mean of like her character. Show. Yeah. No. no, but I mean her character is annoying and she's like driven by God and like she Not won't stop. Nope. But like that actress is incredible. Uh-uh. At- yeah, she want, she nope. made you I she made you dislike her that to go away. <gasps> I love her. Mm-mm. Um yeah. And this definitely too makes Henry Tudor out to be like an asshead. Oh yeah. Um for real. A cocky little shit. So, I mean, it's very clear where her biases are, which yeah. I find interesting. Yeah. Um, and if you want to take that even further, need to watch, um, was it The White the white Princess, princess yeah. after that? Which comes Which is next. about the marriage of Henry VII uh, and Elizabeth uh, Rivers' daughter, yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and their story, and it continues on from there. It's very good. It's a good series. Yeah. 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 I'm I, yeah. Well, anyway. 
check it out. But Margaret Beaufort was a badass bitch. Like the historical I mean, woman. Yes, she was she's a bad great. We love her. But in the yeah. show, I want to punch her in her stupid face. I mean, at she all prays times. a lot and like Oh my god. Rupert to go away. Rupert, what's his name? The actor has to put up with her a lot. He plays Lord Stanley. Sure. He's a long suffering man, Lord yeah. Stanley. Also, she had Much four husbands. Upon. Four. She did. Yeah. That's bananas. It's crazy. And always loved Owen Tudor. There's like this lost mm-hmm. love with Owen Tudor, mm-hmm. who's like sexy AF. Oh, he's hot. Dubs, he's like real really hot. hot Welshman. Um, it's been Just a long like... hot summer, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need some some eye candy up in this bitch. So, uh... where better to start than Edward the Fourth? But so cute he's so cute all right well uh, anyway so you why don't you take us home oh yeah all right um thank you so much for listening even through all of our butt talk <laughs> <laughs> hurly burly shakespeare show come for the shakespeare stay for the butts Yes, there's a double meaning in that. Uh, we hope you leave this podcast more informed than when you started. Uh, also, tune in next week for an episode unlike anything we've ever done before. That's all I'm going to say. It's it's, uh, it's secret. It's going to be, I don't know what it's going to be, but I think it's going to be fun. We're looking forward to it. It's been a couple of months in the making. Tune in. Would it be giving away too much if I said it too is dick centric? No, I think, I think, I think, say it. All right. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Churn, churn your, churn your brains around that one. Yeah. Whamlet out. Whamlet out. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please tell all your friends. Rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Get in touch with us. Tell us what you're working on and thinking about. You can email us at holla, which is H-O-L-L-A, at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram or hurlyburlyshake, no S, on Twitter. The Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show was produced entirely by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet, with no help from anyone, because we're poor. To read more about us or for other podcast-adjacent materials, visit our website at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Okay, we did have help from one guy, Jonathan Shu, who composed the music you're enjoying right now. For more information on him, go to jonathanshu.com or check out his albums on iTunes. And hey... If we name-checked you or someone you know during today's podcast, it's because you inspire us. So keep doing what you do best. Have a kid, have a family, gonna marry me the first woman I see. motions for that but i went one you got all the numbers (laughs) you got all the numbers wrong (laughs) yeah i don't oh we don't even have wine this time to like blame on the wine i mean i don't i can't see off camera what you have i just i have i have a bowl of grapes which is not the same thing (laughs) this is pre-wine right yeah